We're going to look at Mark chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 13. Let me read from the ESV. And this is, this is what Mark wrote. He said, And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him, and he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles, so they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name, and I always mess that up, so I'm just going to say the sons of thunder. That's what they were called. Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon, the zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Um, let's one more time go to the Lord in prayer before we dig into his word, uh, asking especially that, uh, that God would bless those who watch over and keep us safe. Allow us to be able to be here to do this, uh, not just the firemen and police officers who definitely need our prayer, but those soldiers who, who serve our country, home and abroad. And, uh, Mike Palvik, if you would, lead us in a quick word of prayer. Does anyone in here have a nickname? Um, I've had a few throughout the years. When I was, um, when I was in high school, I was, I was in a band and I played bass guitar. And, and I use the word band as loosely as I can in terms. Uh, we got together to play a school talent show, and it was sort of like, hey, Mark, you play drums. Oh, all right, and uh, Joe and Randy, you play guitar. And they're like, James, what do you do? You know, And I'm like, well, I tried to play guitar, and they were like, well, you can play bass. And I was like, okay, cool. So there was that, and then we had our, our, our singer, who was Brian. And we were already friends through different aspects of going to school together. Mostly, most of us went to junior high together. And so we were already friends by the time we were in high school, but... Getting together and playing music together kind of bonded us. And so we we went camping. And this was, I think, about the second occasion we went camping. There was rain forecasted that was going to happen on Friday night. And my, my dad was like, it's fine if you want to go camping with your friends on a Friday. That's fine. I trust you guys. Plus, I know all of their dads. So if anything happens, like one of the guys, his dad was my dad's doctor. The other one was my dad's investment stockbroker. Okay, just in the... And what was worse, one of them, he knew his dad and especially knew his mom because his mom was my dad's personal assistant at work. So they all knew if any of them got in trouble because because we got into mischief, it would be my fault that it got ratted out because my dad knew everybody's parents. So he was like, I don't know, y'all, y'all be fine, y'all go have fun, where are you going to go? And we were going to go to this place, it's um, kind of in west central Arkansas. It's along, they call it a river, but it's really a creek, it's along the White River. And it's really, it's great camping. Um, there's plenty of fresh water, especially during springtime, because if you want to try to catch a fish, you, you probably can, if, uh, you have the skill to do it. Uh, the problem is, is that there's not a lot of dry wood out there. Um, they, they keep it pretty well cleaned up and we wanted to start a campfire. And I, I knew from my, my mother being a worry board, she packed grocery bags of stuff we might need. And we're like trying to figure out, you know, how we're going to start fired, been kind of misting and all this stuff. And we, we get out there, we got the tent set up and all this stuff. I was just going to sleep in my truck. I just decided I didn't want to sleep next to Brian Ashwood in a tent. I, I love the guy, but I didn't want to sleep there because um, he's a lot bigger than me. 
So I was like, all right, so I'm going through the bags and we're trying to think, oh, you know, we've got like a, a, a box of cereal and we're thinking we could take the cardboard from the cereal box and light it to help start the fire. Um, and that didn't work because the box got wet really fast because it was starting to mist. And I get to the bottom of the bag and inside of it is a can of Sterno. And I'm like, oh, Sterno. And and I, she normally would use it like if we we're having a party. She'd put it under something, you know, just to kind of keep it warm, those kind of things. And I didn't ever think of it really as being camping fuel. And so my friends were like, "What is that?" And I said, "Well, I, I, I guess if we need some fire, I guess we could we could light it." And from then on, because of the mishap that happened, to which um, we had to cover the fire pretty fast because it got out of hand in the woods, and a park ranger showed up. I earned the nickname till I graduated high school. Of Sterno. Um, I won't. I won't say what happened. I just will say this: You're not meant to take it and spread it over a log and then try to light it. It doesn't. It's not meant to work that way. Uh, we found that out the hard way. Uh, so I earned that nickname, Sterno. And even to this day, we we saw a friend of mine three or three or four years ago. He was headed to Little Rock, uh, Arkansas, for a surgery, and. Um, he and his wife were going to stay the, stay the night earlier, and we were living in Russellville. And he's like, hey, as I pass through, do you mind if we, we go eat? Uh, just somewhere, just because I haven't seen you. We hadn't seen each other in 12 years. And it was Joe, and he and I had been really just in lock and step since junior high. And uh, he gets out of the car, and we just, big bear hug, and he goes, sterno, like that. And I was just like, I can't live that down. It's been over 20 years, and I can't still live down that. I said, hey, we could light the log this way. Um, but. Nicknames. Nicknames are interesting. And in the Bible, we find that Jesus gives people nicknames. He does. And we find that they, or they become known by something other than the name they have. Their name gets changed. And that's what we have in this passage. It's, it's still early on in Jesus' ministry. There's, there's a, a few disciples that are showing up on the scene, but he's already, Jesus has already cast out evil spirits. Jesus has already healed a man with leprosy. It's the man that comes to him and, and says, if you're willing, and Jesus reaches out and physically touches the man, he says, I'm willing, I will make you clean. Touches the man. Jesus is already ca- causing a little bit of controversy by who he's calling. The Pharisees do not like the fact that a, that a former tax collector is now in close proximity to Jesus. Jesus has healed on the Sabbath. Simply just tells a man with a withered hand, stretch out your hand. And then he turns the question on them and says, is it lawful to do good or to do evil on the Sabbath? What does the law really mean? So he's already causing a little bit of controversy with what people have expected. And he decides to go up on a mountain. And you find in, you find in the Gospels, when Jesus goes up on a mountain, it's usually when he has a big decision to make or he's going to get away from the crowd to commune with the Father. And he goes up on this mountain and he calls a group of guys to come with him. We don't have the qualification listed. This is why Jesus said, Simon, Andrew, James, John, come here with me. Actually, all we're simply given is Jesus' plan. It simply says this, he appointed 12 so that they might be with him, that they might be in his presence, that they might 
send, that he might send them out to preach and that he might give them the authority to cast out demons. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about a group of imperfect people doing a perfect work. David, if you would, go to that, go to that next slide. We're going to go to the end of the passage and work backwards if we can. David, if you would, next slide. There we go. He tells us, Mark tells us what's going to happen. And then he makes a list. Well, what I want to do is I want to start with a list. Because when you start with this list and go backwards, or if you look at what Jesus is planning on doing and then you read the list, you realize the amount of grace that is involved in what Jesus is doing through these 12 ordinary men. And they're just like you and me. They, they, are, they have their good moments and they have their bad moments. They have moments where they, they totally, completely understand and they get it 100%. And then they have another moment where they're doubting and they're denying. That's who he calls. Because that's who he wants to use. You get a little insight if you read 2 Corinthians 4-7, which Paul talks about how we have this treasure in jars of clay, these fragile bodies that we have to show that this all-surpassing power comes from God. It doesn't come from us. And that's why I really believe Jesus chooses these 12 individuals. Because what Jesus was going to do, Jesus could have done it. Just He couldn't be everywhere at once. And he's going to be able to send out 12 people in his name to do something that is far beyond who they are. So let's start with the list. David, go, go to the next slide. I've, I've put up a little bit and it's kind of it's blurry. My thing got blurry, so you're going to have to bear with me a little bit. The first one he lists is Rocky, and, and Brad talks about this a lot, so I'm not going to go into too much detail. Simon, Pete, Simon, who Jesus would later name Peter, for a lot of reasons. Simon meant listener, and Peter a lot of times was the first person to act or speak, and not the first person to take something really in. And he's like, no, you're, you're a little more Rocky, I'm going to call you Peter. The second two he have are, are James and John. Now, in my house, and I, I love Jack and Ethan, to pieces, but in my house, I live with the modern day version of these two individuals. They are the sons of thunder. I mean, to me, it sounds like a wrestling tag team, honestly. All right. It sounds like they're about to be up to trouble. We don't know a hundred percent why. Again, this is one of those things we don't have all the whys, but there's a lot of clues in scripture because these guys kind of have a fiery disposition. They, there are, are a number of occasions. Where they're like, well, that's not right, Jesus. Why is that person doing that? They're not part of our little inner circle. And she's like, whoa, let them do it in my name. Go ahead. There's moments where they're like, who's going to be first? I mean, they, they have this, um, not antagonistic, but they, they're a little boisterous. They're a little on fire, I guess you could say. So Jesus calls them the sons of thunder. And there's some scholars who believe it's almost an endearing term. You have Andrew, who I call numero uno. Because Andrew's the first named disciple we have. If you remember, Andrew's following John the Baptist. And John says, that's the guy I've been preaching about. And Andrew says, okay, I'm following him. You know, and that's what he does. You have numero uno. Second one is you have Philip, who I, I like to call fish sandwich. And you may be like, why are you calling fish sandwich? Well, if you read the, the account of the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus is there as, as the people are coming in. I mean, it's before he's speaking. They're showing up. And Jesus leans over to Philip and says, how are we going to feed all these people? And Philip is like, it's going to be 200 denarii to feed all these people. And that's just to give them a little bit. 
now fish sandwiches that day. So I so, so remember, fish sandwich. He's the guy. I sometimes, when I, and this is just on a personal thing, when I read that account, and I think about that with Philip, I wonder if, if all the disciples, if that's the one it's stuck with. Because Jesus said, essentially, watch what I'm about to do, without saying, watch what I'm about to do. He had Philip's mind on it all day long. You have Bartholomew. Now, Bartholomew is kind of a mystery a little bit. Bartholomew is listed in all four lists. Every time the disciples are listed like this, he's in all four lists. But then the name Bartholomew isn't really mentioned that much anymore. There's a little bit of a clue that Bartholomew may actually be his last name. Now, is anybody in here, and guys tend to do this a lot. Anybody in here ever know, as, have any of you ever been known by just your last name or people just call you? Anybody lifting up a hands? Anybody lifting up a hands? I have a few people who did that. First in college, Mitchell. I thought about just changing my first name to Mitchell. That way it'd just be Mitchell Kelly Mitchell. I mean, it'd just be Mitchell. Because that's the way they just call me Mitchell. Alright? Well, it's my last name. I'm glad there's not another Mitchell around. Alright? But if you say Skinner in here, you're in trouble. Because it could mean any number of people in the room. We say Miller and it's just, well, okay, there we go. But, but that's what we have. A lot of, a lot of scholars think that Bartholomew probably could have been Nathaniel's last name. Because we have the calling of Nathaniel in John chapter 1. We have Jesus coming to him, saying, telling him what he's going to see. We also find that there's always a close proximity of Nathaniel to Philip. And so it's, it, it could possibly be, probably, at least in the way I read it, Nathaniel or is, is Bartholomew and that's his last name and that's just how he's known by his last name. You have Thomas who, who's the doubter. We know that later, but there are moments in the Gospels where Thomas totally gets it and totally sees it and is on page 100% with Jesus, with what Jesus is doing. You have Matthew or Levi or the tax man. That's why I, that, that's just the Beatles fan in me that likes to call him a tax man. Brad's going to listen later and go, oh, hey, look, listen, he did that. Okay. You have James. Now, this is the other James. And there's, there's some scholars who are generous and say, well, he's called James the less because he's lesser known. There's some people who believe that he's like Zacchaeus. He's short. He's small in stature. And he's James the less. Like he's James the short. Like his nickname is Shorty. That's what they're calling him. Alright? That'd be, you know, that's... We, again, I could make fun of Ron, but I'm not going... Well, I will. Okay, like if we were to pass out nicknames. Alright? Joe wouldn't have a nickname. He'd just be known as Joe. That's just Joe. Joe's got Joe. Ron? Uh, Treetop, Sasquatch... Whatever we want to call him. He'd call me Stump, probably in that moment. You know, this is being short. You know, that's what we'd have. That's true. That's, uh... Or we could call him Very Handsome Man. Either one. Yeah. You have Thaddeus. Now, Thaddeus' name was Judas. But you don't see him referred to as Judas very much because he's not that Judas. Okay. Because if you were to say disciple of Jesus and Judas... Who are we going to think? You're going to think of the last person on the list. Jesus Iscariot. And it's funny how, how names get changed around and how people become known. That's why Thaddeus in that list is known as Thaddeus. It's really, his first name was Judas. But we have him listed as Thaddeus. You have Simon the Zealot. Now, the Zealot is not his last name. The Zealot is who he is. He loved his country. Now, we don't... We don't really think that he's probably one of these people who are like the, the two thieves or the, 
the guys who were causing insurrection who were crucified next to Jesus, he's not on that level of zealot. But he's somebody who's, who has a lot of national pride, who loves this country. So he's Simon the Zealot. And then you have Judas Iscariot. He was the treasurer of the group. And he's the one that we all know is the one who betrays. But even in that whole list, you still have Judas. There's a lot of grace in that list because we could go through it and pick apart and say, well, there's the moment where, where Peter denies Jesus and there's the moment where Thomas doubts and then there's the moments where James and John are jockeying for position about who will be the greatest in the kingdom. Or you can look at them for all of their flaws and realize that Jesus saw something in them. Even Judas. He saw an opportunity and a chance in these guys who were completely imperfect. Completely imperfect. But through His power and working in them, they could do a perfect work. So you have imperfect people. Imperfect people doing this. David, if you would. Doing a a perfect work. Verses 14 and uh, 15. And here's what it says. And I love this. Then He appointed twelve to them and He called them His... Apostles, I'm reading from the NLT now, so we use with the youth group, and it says this, they were to accompany him, the, the ESV says, so that they might be with him. Now before the work begins, it starts with one of my favorite biblical principles that's found really at the, we, we hear Jesus talking about it at the Last Supper. Abiding. Before you get to the work, before he sends them out to preach, before he gives them the authority to cast out demons, their number one job was to abide. Was to live in, around, and with that presence of Jesus Christ. To be there with him. To see how he interacted. To learn from him. To, to literally walk in his footsteps, which is a tradition we we don't see a lot nowadays, which was very common to them for a rabbi to, to acknowledge a student and say, okay, you can, you can follow me. That's what they were doing. He was saying, follow me. And it's not just a, hey, follow me. Well, you know, Simon says, it was follow me. Watch me. Learn from me. When he said, take my yoke, Upon you, that yoke would have two oxen in it. Guess who one of the other one was? It's Jesus. They're not in there by themselves. And so that's what that abiding is, is to watch and to, not wonder, but to watch and to do. Uh, Brad, Brad has talked a lot about, um, that, the TV show coming on that, uh, living biblically. And, uh, he's mentioned that it's based on a book. I think it's really interesting for somebody who's an agnostic to write a book about living biblically. But he came to this point at the end of the book where he says, you know what, I'm not, not a believer yet. And he divides his time in the book to living according to the Old Testament and living according to the New Testament. He said, but I, I found this by just simple, simply practicing what faith looks like on the outside. That as I do it, I become a better dad. And as I do it, I become a better employee and I become a better employer for the people who work under me. I'm I'm a kinder person. I'm a more forgiving person. Now that's somebody without faith just trying to apply the Bible on their own willpower. 
Imagine those of us who have God's power abiding in Christ, applying what we know 110%. We would be better parents. We'd be better friends. We'd be better co-workers. We'd be better employees. We'd be, be, we would be better employers. That's what just happens. And that's abiding. That's saying, I'm going to believe it. I'm going to trust it. I'm going to follow it. It's not that I'm just hoping to escape hell. It's that I want this life to reflect Jesus Christ because I realize my way of doing it is just making a mess and shambles of the whole thing. So Jesus first calls them and says, abide. He had called them to follow. I mean, if you read even in Mark or you can read in the other gospel accounts, he'd said, follow me. I mean, they're, they're sitting on the, the beach counting fish and he says, follow me. Matthew's at the tax booth. Follow me. Philip gets brought to Jesus and he goes, I'm going to go find my friend Nathaniel. And he finds him under a tree and he shows up and Jesus says, oh, here's a guy. Uh, he's, he's exceptional. And he said, I saw you under that tree. And he's like, well, how'd you, how'd you do that? And he says, follow me. And it's, it becomes a little bit beyond just, okay, I'm just going to watch. It's to watch and to learn. But as they do that, he, he gives them a perfect work to do that's beyond them. There's another occasion where Jesus goes up onto a mountain and he's got Peter, James, and John with him. Even Andrew, who'd been the first, who'd followed before those three, doesn't get to go. James the less, you probably didn't see him in the crowd, so he didn't get picked to go. I don't know why. But whatever reason is, it's those three guys, and I think it's because those three have something that they need to see and that Jesus needs them to see. And they go up on the mount. And in that moment, Jesus is transformed. And they, I believe they get a glimpse, just a glimpse, not the full view, but a glimpse of His heavenly glory. And in that moment, while they're up there, there's two figures that seem to appear. And it's Moses and Elijah. And they're up on the mountain. And Peter, rather than taking it in, says, this is great. Let's build some monuments right up here. Even in that moment, Peter gets told, you need to listen. Listen. You have to abide. and You have to be close to be able to understand that message. And the process is the same for us. We start with abiding. But then it becomes this, David. It becomes this, if you would, David. The chance to proclaim a message. Here they are. With a charge. To proclaim a message that the kingdom of heaven is here and now. That the Messiah is, is here. Preach good news. That's what they were told to do. And we have that opportunity too. As we, as we draw close, and, and I put a little, a little subtext on there. I find this as a dad. I find this as a youth pastor. But I want to encourage because sometimes people think that the pro- proclamation of the message is from behind a pulpit like this. The proclamation of the message in, in the Old Testament was as you walk down the road. Julie, I think of you and Sawyer. Because you guys like to go for walks. 
in the neighborhood. Now, Sawyer's busy picking up rocks and acorns and anything else he can find, but, or scooting his, his truck or throwing the ball and having Trey go chase it because I've seen that happen too. Um, but walking down a road, we're told in Deuteronomy chapter six that with our children, we're to teach them as we go on our way. That's one of the proclamations of this message that we have. And we all have somebody that we can just share with. And again, it's not Bible thumping. It's just sharing. There, there are people who I've had share with me and, and not really preach at me, but just share with me what they're reading from God's Word. And it's floored me before because I almost feel like God led them to read that so they can just say it to me. Because I needed it in that moment. So as, as parents and grandparents and guardians of the children that we're around, we have a, a special obligation to do that. Well, we have that obligation with everybody. To share that message. It was just supposed to be part of everything that they do, Gene, everywhere those disciples were go, would go. It was meant to be on their lips. It was meant to be something that they just talked about. Can you imagine what that message looked like? When I was finishing up my my master's degree, one of the last classes I took was on fundraising and development. And they uh, they tell you, always have a story. Always have something new to say. And I, I would talk to Carol about this. So what's, what's the latest story? What's the newest thing? What's the newest thing that's been said by a, a mentor with Link One? Can you imagine what the disciples' newest story was all the time? Because at this moment, it would have been like, dude, on, on Saturday, on the Sabbath, Jesus just told a guy who had a hand that was crimped up, withered. He said, stretch out your hand, and the hand stretched. They always had a message. They always said, we have seen Jesus do this, and we have heard Jesus say this. They always had a message. And where does that come from? Number one, abiding in Christ. That proximity with Him. There's always something. And sometimes that something is something you've read years ago in God's Word, and all of a sudden it just, something like you, you, this verse was awesome, like this morning in the reading. And we all know Romans 3.23, but man, Romans 3.24, that was awesome. That's awesome. Sometimes there's just those little things at the right moment. God knows how to use them. And it's from the proximity. Then he gives you something to proclaim. And nine times out of ten, Steve, the message is that God is good. Despite what other people may believe about God, God is good. All the time. And then they get this opportunity. David. To practice what they preach. Jesus was going to Give them authority to cast out demons. And it's one thing to be around the master. It's one thing to share what the master is doing. But Gene, it's another thing to do what the master is doing. It's, that was a, that was a big deal. And these guys are flawed. These guys have problems. And these guys had probably had some of their worst moments seen by other people who weren't following Jesus. They may have looked good in one moment. In the next moment, it's it's rough. That's why Peter, I think, has a hard time bouncing back a little bit until Jesus says, feed my sheep. 
But he says, I'm going to give you authority to cast out demons. Later on, he's going to send out 70. And when those 70 return, they're going to be amazed at what Jesus said they could do could really happen. And we always say practice what you preach, and I think it revolves both ways. I think you practice what you preach, and you preach what you practice. I think what's on your heart and mind, what's on your lips, should be also reflected in your actions. And in the same way. I think the way you act should be reflected by the way you talk. I mean, it, it, it shouldn't just be practice what you preach. It should also be, be preach what you practice. I mean, be consistent. And that's really a, one of the biggest things he's calling them to do. Be around me. Be consistent. I'm going to give you this message, and you're going to go out, and if you're going to proclaim hope, you're going to have to give people some hope. You're going to do it in my name. Now, they weren't doing it in the name of Simon Peter. They weren't doing it in the name of Bartholomew or Nathaniel or whatever his name was. They weren't doing it in the name of James the Less. They were doing it in the name of Jesus. So the imperfection didn't matter. What mattered was the perfect work that was working within them, and it's the same thing with us. That's why, why do you think Jesus died for our sin? So that one thing that we can do nothing about is taken care of, which is a very, very, very comforting thought. Because I have things in my past that I cannot change but can be covered by the blood of Jesus and have been because I couldn't do a thing about it. And it's what allows me to be able to, to talk about His goodness and to share His grace and His love because I experience His grace and love, I feel like, on a daily basis from Him and, and from you all. And that's the beauty of it. Because here's a group of imperfect guys who have their hang-ups and we're a group of imperfect people with our own hang-ups and our own baggage and our own expectations and our own thoughts and how things should be sometimes rather than just waiting to take in what God has for us. We could, we could probably sit in here and have a debate on two sides in this room just on music alone. I bet there's people in here who love hymns. I grew up in a hymn singing church. There's people in this room who, who love courses. It'd almost be like in this room. You'd have one sitting on one wing, one sitting on the other, and you have people who just love it all, just right in the middle. Who'd be looking back and forth saying, get along. There's some people who like some songs and don't like others. And you know, and there's some songs that I don't like and I don't prefer. But is it about my opinion? No. It's about glorifying the name of Jesus. Because if my opinion gets in the way, guess who doesn't get glorified? Jesus. At least not by me, because I'm just going to be glorifying my own opinion. So we have to remove ourselves sometimes and just take in what he has and then stretch. Because to practice what you preach and practice what you read takes stretching. The other day we were straightening up the house and with the move and doing different things where I normally work out was the garage and it's become the living room. And I was moving weights from the... uh living room back to the garage just to kind of clean and straighten up. And Jack made a joke about the weight that I was carrying. I was like, yeah, look at me doing these curls. You know, it was a really light weight. I don't use it for curling. Okay. And he was like, oh, dad, that's like 12 pounds. I can curl 25 like that. And I'm just like, I almost went in the garage and grabbed a 25 pound weight and said, have at it, big boy. Let's, just, let's see it. Which he probably would have done it. That's my, and then I would have been like, 
I can curl that like four times, but my son is just, just going. If you say you're going to do something, or if you're going to believe, if you're going to say that you believe something can happen, you got to live like it. You got to live like it. So here's the big idea. If you would, David. The big idea is as a believer, don't settle for just showing up. Because they could have taken that first one. And if you read in there, if you read what it says, he called the twelve. And it starts to be with him. And sometimes we settle for that. Just, I just like being around him. That's great. Well, God, I, there's people I like being around. But man, being around sometimes collects dust a little bit. Because we gotta take another step. And we gotta move. We weren't meant to sit still even as believers. Never were. We're always growing. If you, if you read the Bible, if you read, especially in the language that it's in, and it's one of those things that I, at least in college, I loved about it. Now I'm like, boy, I've forgotten a lot every time I get back into some of the words that I'm like, oh, I think I used to know that word. The language of Greek that the New Testament writ- is written in, it's all centered around verbs, and it's a lot of action verbs. Like we read the word love, and it's an emotion. But when, when they would write agape, or even phileo, man, there was an idea that that love was doing something. It was sacrificing, or it was, or it was friendship, Joe. And that, that language, sometimes is hard to translate into the English language, because our language is very descriptive. We have a lot of describing, we have a lot of adjectives and a lot of adverbs. Man, Greek was all about doing and going and being. So when you read the New Testament, start to count how many times you see the word grow as a movement. How many times you see the word walk or even run as a movement. There are a few occasions in the Bible that you'll read a be still. But man, there's few. Because we're meant not to just settle and sit. We're meant to be headed a direction within God's power as imperfect people doing His perfect work. And it all centers back on Jesus Christ. Not on us. On Jesus Christ and what He's done for us. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, I just pray that You empower us through Your Word. Empower us through Your grace because I know with me it took a lot of grace. And I thank You for it, Lord. So I just... I just pray that we are, we are given a little bit of rest this morning, a little bit of a reprieve from those things of the, that we weigh our own selves down with, that personal guilt that a lot of us may carry, that unworthiness. I pray, Lord, that you, you turn it and you help us realize the grace that you have that reaches down and grabs hold of our life that says, yes, you are, but I love you. And I see potential in you. Lord, you saw potential in all of those guys. From Simon Peter to James the Less. You saw it. Even Judas had his role to play for the time that he was around you, Lord. And I, and I don't understand it because we have the, we have the hindsight of seeing on the, the backside of things how, how life played out. Lord, I pray that you would help us. I pray that you would, you would help us to see or get a glimpse of what you have for our lives and help us to follow you. Not to just sit and take it in 
and rest in that moment. But even if it is for a moment, Lord, help us to be able to get back up. Help us to be able to move. Help us to have that attitude of Paul where he said, I have ran the race. I have finished the course. Help us. Help us to keep that mindset to know that you always have something for us to do, somewhere to go, some way to follow you into a deeper love, a deeper understanding, and ultimately an opportunity to bring somebody else to faith in you. Help us to have that goal of change lives of the people that we're around. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.